Well, it is good to be back in worship, church. It's been a while for me, and so uh, at least physically present with you. I am a co-executive of the Presbytery Los Ranchos. We are 44 congregations strong, and we span all the way down from San Clemente all the way up to Divine Savior in Los Angeles. So uh, we cover quite a, quite a region, about 5.2 million people reside in our bounds. And it's really important that Jason is getting some time away. Boy, I'll tell you, uh, pastors have been through it this past year. As a co-executive, I get a visit, a number of the pastors, and I know that they've worked so hard. And so uh, just pray for him and his family as they're away during this time. I thought it would be helpful if we just introduce the text for this morning. We come to our gospel reading in the Gospel of John. And I think it's helpful to know where it fits in the New Testament story. So back in John chapter 20, when the disciples are hiding out in Jerusalem in the days following the crucifixion, Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you. And then right after that, he says, as my father has sent me, I send you. But before he sends them out and before Jesus ascends to his father, He does the most important thing of all. He breathes on the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What does this mean? Well, Jesus in this moment empowers and commissions his disciples for a world-changing purpose doesn't just commission them and then leave them alone. He breathes the Holy Spirit into them and sends them his companion, this companion who come alongside them, who will empower and guide them from the inside out so that they might become agents of God's reconciliation and forgiveness. You see, if love is the name of the game, and I believe it is, Jesus commissions his disciples to care about the things that he cared about and to do the things that Jesus taught them to do. But that's not where we find the disciples in John chapter 21. For whatever reason, they've gone back to fishing, to what they're comfortable with before they'd ever met Jesus. They're on the Sea of Galilee, which is also known, as you'll see, as the Sea of Tiberias. And there they are. They've been fishing all night long. And now the sun is rising, and the risen Lord appears to them on the shore and notices that their nets are empty. And so he calls out to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And when they do, they end up catching so many fish, they're barely able to haul them all in. Well, this isn't the disciples' first fishing trip, and certainly not the first time they've seen a miracle on the waters of Galilee. So one of the disciples turns to Peter and says, It is the Lord. And true to form, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims all the way to shore, about 100 yards away. And then waiting for them on the beach is Jesus. He has a charcoal fire burning there, and he asks them to bring some of their catch over to him so he can add what they caught to the other fish and the bread that's already grilling over the fire. And so it is 
at this moment that the disciples have breakfast with Jesus, this kind of first communion of sorts, that we come to our sermon passage this morning. It comes from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus and Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Let us pray as we begin. O God of yesterday, today and tomorrow, be our teacher. Open our ears to your word and transform our wills so that we might follow you with the whole of our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I remember the days after our family lost our father to cancer. They were really tough days for us. He was such a great dad. He lived such a generous, noble life filled with integrity and kindness. And so he was the sort of guy that wasn't difficult to obey. I mean, you knew if he said, you know, do such and such, it was going to turn out pretty good for you. And man, was he generous. I remember needing clothes, and this was probably the bad thing for him because he had five boys who all grew up wearing pretty much the same size clothing as he did. So we just, if we needed something, we would just head to his closet and pull it out of there. And you know what? He was always like, hey, what's mine is yours. So the days after we lost him to his battle with cancer, it kind of felt like the world had tilted off its axis. We just thought he was such a great, great model for us. And I believe the love of a good parent, whether of adopted children or biological ones, is as deep as any love as that there can be. And I think that's perhaps why Jesus uses familial terms to describe his deepest relationships. Of course, the Old Testament refers to our heavenly Father. But Jesus also calls his disciples his children. So they're kind of his adopted children in a way, and it's, it's a way of saying there's no greater love than I can have for you than I already have. So when Jesus is in this moment on the shore and he's about to ascend to his father, it must have felt to the disciples like they were losing the best parent ever. 
And so it's hard to imagine what it must have felt like to be Peter and to be asked by Jesus if he loved him. This encounter intrigues me because the last time we catch up with Peter, he's also near another fire. He's standing next to a charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And Jesus is being interrogated and beaten without cause. And the night's cold, and so Peter's there warming himself. And while he's doing, he's asked three times if he is a disciple of Jesus, and he denies it. And then the very same night, Peter takes off a sword and cuts off a slave's ear, showing that he's still mired in the ways of power and violence. We all like power plays, you know, let's take it into our own hands. So he he cuts off this slave's ear that comes to arrest Jesus. And then, of course, he says, you know, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And then only hours later, we find that he denies that he's even Jesus' disciple. So here in this exchange between Jesus and Peter, these questions that Jesus asked, they make me want to cringe. I think of what it would have been like for my own father to say, hey, Tom, do you love me? I mean, if he asked me that only once, I would be so uncomfortable and I'd be so sad. And yet on the shore of Galilee, this fire of betrayal that Peter has been living with for perhaps days becomes the fire of forgiveness once again. It reminds Peter that there's nothing that he can do to outrun God's grace for him. So in a way, this encounter is kind of a do-over. You know, three years later, Peter's there on the shore of Galilee, and Jesus sees him tending his nets, and he says, follow me, and Peter immediately drops his net, and he gets into line, and then Later, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Jesus, Peter speaks up. He says, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. He doesn't have much of an understanding of what he's actually saying, but he says it. And it's the right thing to say. And now in this encounter, he says, do you love me? And Peter, the way he normally does, he doesn't really get to the deeper question that Jesus is actually asking him. And yet Jesus calls this wavering Peter. We've confessed it in our prayer of confession today, this impetuous person to follow him. This interaction has always come as good news to me, by the way, because it's comforting to know that Jesus isn't looking for perfect followers and certainly not followers who love him perfectly. I mean, how can we judge that in our own hearts? If you're like me, you might be a little self-critical. You might all wonder yourself, do I really love Jesus? He's looking for ordinary people who are willing to live in grace and share that grace with others. I find it fascinating as I read through the Gospels that Jesus never commands his disciples to worship him. But he says over and over again, follow me. And we saw at the end of the text this morning... Does Peter love Jesus? I, I think so. Maybe. But is that really the point? It's more that Jesus accepts this wavering, fragile love of Peter and then calls him to a life aside him. He's given him the spirit to be alongside him and now binds him to Christ. 
so that Peter might walk with him and do the things that Jesus did, which is to feed the sheep, to feed the children of God. I don't know if anyone who chooses to follow Jesus knows what they're getting into. Could Peter have imagined the healings he would see, the forgiveness that would unbind people from their guilt and shame? Or how the powers and principalities of the world would be toppled from a very different message than taking out your sword and slicing on people? This message of forgiveness and reconciliation, this unbinding of sin and people's own self-doubt about whether or not they're loved. And I think probably more of a surprise for Peter would have been like, yeah, right? I'm the one you're calling to play such an important role in starting this movement that today we now call the Christian church. So Peter, I don't think, could have understood three years earlier the things that Jesus was calling him to do back then. And so, likewise, in this, this encounter with the risen Lord on the shores of Galilee, Jesus calls Peter to these new things, and I don't think he could possibly understand or imagine what they're going to be about. In only a matter of months, thousands of people join this thing called The Way, where people are just coming together in crowds and wanting to listen to Peter's preaching, and he lays hands on people, and suddenly they're lame, and they get up, and they walk. They're paralyzed, and they're able to move about and join their families again in their communities And then he goes and he introduces the world's savior to people outside of the Jewish faith. Something unthinkable. He's going beyond the boundaries of who this faith was for to begin with. Peter may have started out as a fisherman, but Jesus called him to fish for people. Their hearts, their relationships, their engagement with the communities around them. And so by calling Peter to feed his sheep, I think Jesus nudges Peter one step further on his journey of discipleship. And so if we're ever like, God, you know, is my heart divided? Whatever, you know, do I love Jesus enough? Maybe the best place to get reoriented is just to start caring for the people around us and and to take care of their needs. But Jesus doesn't say... um, do you love me? He says, first of all, he says, do you love me more than these? And I think he's talking about Peter's friends and the the food, the the nice barbecue that they're having right there that morning, belly full of fish and bread. And Peter could have stayed home with his family, which is really great. Any of you who have traveled for weeks on end or do that for a business, I know all of us have been kind of reoriented with being at home but if we travel a lot we know what it's like to get back into a rhythm even if it's only for a few days or so and to to be with our families and could have hung out with his fishing buddies and yet Jesus says do you love me more than these there's some distinctions you know what are the priorities and values of your life and so he invites Peter to reflect on the person he was before he met Jesus and the person he would become now choosing to follow Jesus yet again Peter's old way of life had a lot of attractive qualities to it, but this new way of life that Jesus had called him to, and now is the risen Lord who had imparted the Holy Spirit to him, has so much more to offer because it connects him to the source of love and life itself, and it is a kingdom building. If you don't like the word of kingdom, it's a community, it's a a loving community building way 
of living life. It's a reconciling way of building the world and restoring the world back to wholeness. You know, as a Presbytery co-executive, it's kind of abstract sometimes what we do. You can ask Marilyn. I think she even wonders. She's on Presbytery Council. But I have the privilege of seeing congregations like yours doing the best they can to follow Jesus into a changing world. Pastor Jason shared with me, and I've seen you all online, and all the exciting things your congregation has done to weather the storm of COVID, to use this popular term these days, you've pivoted so fast in so many ways and week by week with all of the news that came to you. And all of it has been centered on this vision that you have to lead people to love Jesus, to love others. This is the part of your vision statement I really like, to love themselves, for people to love themselves. Too often congregations forget this that we're the people who help people love themselves too. And your vision statement lifts it up. And then the last part of it is to impact the world around you. So as Pastor Jason encouraged you last Sunday, we're not charged to remember God's faithfulness. If you were able to listen to that sermon, he talked about how to remember our calling And he says, we're not charged to remember God's faithfulness only for what God did for us in the past, but we remember God's faithfulness in worship so that it might encourage encourage us for the future, our future work. And I think this this encounter is part of that encouragement to Peter. You see, at the heart of what it means to be a disciple is actually to be a learner. It's not just information or things that we put in our heads. We're learners. The mathetes, to be a disciple, means to be a learner who attaches yourself to a teacher and then follows the teacher. We do that with our bodies, with our heads and our hearts and our bodies and our resources. And sometimes that involves adding to what we already know and do well, but sometimes it means unlearning some things unlearning some habits we've had, unlearning some preferences that we've had, and especially ones that don't connect with Jesus' sheep anymore. And often it means experimenting with things that we've never even tried before, and you've had to experiment with so many things this past year. Maybe it's one of the gifts, the unsung gifts of COVID in this tragic and troubled time is that it's, it's caused the church to experiment again and to new things afresh to feed Jesus' sheep. And believe me, it's not lost on the presbytery. It's not lost on me. All the things that your church family has done to be a community for the larger community of La Mirada, a lot of congregations have an aspiration to reflect the neighborhoods in which they serve. But you've taken concrete, tangible, sacrificial steps over and over again to be the church for all the cultures that reside around your campus. And in this way, you're leading the rest of us in how to embody the love and justice of Jesus Christ in a multicultural context. And no doubt that your walk with Christ has been enhanced by the stories and the testimonies of people who have been transformed by your welcome, your hospitality, and your compassion. And none of that happens without 
without followers and without leaders who realize that faith requires leaving former things behind and reaching for new things that Christ has in store for his disciples. Trusting God to provide in the spaces where we feel most anxious and insecure. I've spoken to many pastors these past several months, and I've discovered that the aspect of reopening the church and meeting physically again that they're most worried about, and I know we're not supposed to worry, but <laughs> they're worried about, is how to lead in a hybrid church context. You see, it's one thing to make all these adaptions to putting our gatherings online, and believe me, that was a huge amount of work for folks. But it's another challenge of ministering to two completely different groups now, groups who find value in being together physically like I do and, and who think that, you know, I, I just couldn't do it without regular, no, I'm an extrovert, okay? I can't do it without regular contact with people. But those also who prefer to be nurtured primarily, not all the time, but primarily through electronic media. And so that's a daunting task ahead for the church. And so with Peter on the shore of Galilee, it's natural to be wondering what the future holds. Perhaps that is why Jesus said to Peter, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. You see, he's naming this life where he's drawing in comparison to the life that Peter had before he trusted Jesus when he was comfortable and calling all the shots and fishing with his buddies and knowing what to expect. But being in control has its downside sometimes when it comes to the life of faith. It can become an impediment to following Jesus and feeding his sheep. And so we find ourselves in this kind of odd space in history, this odd moment, and we're faced with so many unknowns. And I think it's easy to feel like Peter being led around by this belt of invisible forces. But Jesus is calling people of faith to stay close to him, regardless of the cost. At the end of this encounter, Jesus tells Peter that following him will require great sacrifice and thus presents to him the paradox of faith that he teaches so many other places. He says, to save your life, you must lose it in the other Gospels, and only through losing your life will you save it. Like Peter, we can say three times to Jesus that I love you. We can say a hundred times, I love you. But perhaps the most important thing we can do is keep caring for his lambs, and we're each other's lambs in here, each other as a community of faith, and feeding the sheep in all the ways that each of us is called to do so. Everyone has a different way. My, my wife is a dog lover. When we were engaged, she said, you know what? I'll always have a dog. And I said, yes, you will. <laughs> That's true. But one of the places she connects with people and feeds them is at the dog park near our house. She's there probably four or five times a week, talking with people, chatting with them, thinking through their worries, being there for them. We each have a different way to feed sheep. And thankfully, this is the last thing I'll say. 
I'm so grateful that Jesus sees into our hearts and accepts at least our efforts to love him back. I'm so glad that I don't have to be perfect. It's just that I put one step in front of the other. And I think we all do as we follow Jesus into the world, as unknown and as risky as that may be. So we end this morning in the same way we began hearing the words of Jesus, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And probably most important of all, to hear the words, follow me. Amen. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer this morning together. And so if you'd bow with me online or here in the sanctuary, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.